Hello and welcome to Amplify Archaeology. My name's Neil Chapman. I'm an archaeologist and the director of Abata Heritage. I wanted to start this podcast to, well as the name suggests, help to amplify archaeology in Ireland. So I hope that we can bring some insights into the practice of archaeology and how we go about telling the story of Ireland through its material culture. Throughout the course of this podcast, we will be speaking with some of Ireland's top archaeologists and specialists to discover more about the different periods, the types of sites and monuments, and the practice and techniques of Irish archaeology. We have some really exciting interviews lined up and I can't wait to get started. To begin it all, we had the chance to do something really special. We travelled to one of the most iconic heritage sites in Ireland, beautiful Glendalough, where we met with Professor Graham Warren and Conor McDermott of University College Dublin and their team of archaeologists, students and volunteers to find out about their exciting excavations. As this recording was carried out quite literally in the field, you'll hear a little bit of background noise from the excavation works and from some inquisitive sheep. But please do bear with us, as I think there might be some really great insight into the project. I hope you enjoy the programme. And welcome to Amplify Archaeology. And we're here on the very pilot show with uh, Professor Graham Warren, head of school from University College Dublin, and Conor McDermott from University College Dublin as well. And we're actually at beautiful Glendalough today, and we're seeing some pretty exciting archaeology. Um, Graham, why Glendalough? Well, we've been we've been working in Glendalough since two thousand and nine, and the Glendalough's obviously a very famous archaeological site, it's a very famous tourist site, it's a place of, of stunning beauty overall, tied up with a series of stories, almost classic Irish archaeological stories, so the story of St Kevin retreating from the noise and the bustle of, of urban life to move into the, to the wilderness and allegedly coming here to the, the quiet and the solitude of the upper lake and founding a monastery that ultimately moved down the valley and became a major a major center overall and it's it's that complex that gets so many so many visitors coming to it each year um and that's obviously a, a classic story of irish christianity moving away into the wilderness to be to be closer to closer to god and many people still visit here for for strongly spiritual reasons there's any number of retreat groups at, at different times and in different places within the valley as well now there's a there's a more complex history here. There's a, a very substantial industrial history, for example. Our own research focused on charcoal production in the 17th century. There's also lead mining in the 19th and into the very early 20th century that have really marked the valley and is, is much less well understood. And our intention, Connor and I, when we, when we started this project, was really to look at the valley as a whole and try and broaden out that story of Glendalock. And there's really... There were four main reasons why we thought this was a, a good landscape to, to come to, and that was looking at, at research, at management, at teaching, and at outreach or community engagement. And in terms of research, although Glendalock is an iconic landscape for, for tourists and for, for archaeologists, there's actually been very little recent archaeological research done here. Great work on architecture, 
great work on historical sources, but in terms of research-driven archaeology, very little. So to take one example, we're excavating in the field immediately adjacent to the Round Tower and the main monastic complex. No one had ever done geophysical survey here before we did with our students in 2011. Incredible. It is, it is. And unsurprisingly, what we found was there's a lot of archaeology in the field immediately <laughs> next, to the, next to the Round Tower. So there are, there are research questions there, and some of our findings are, are changing aspects of the narrative, and we might, we might come back to talk about that. There's then also management issues. Glendalock as a landscape is under enormous pressure in terms of tourism. Anyone who's tried to visit here at the weekend recently will know that car parking is more than a little bit of a little bit of a challenge. The valley gets over a million visitors a year, and that presents a, a challenge for effectively managing the cultural heritage of Glendalock, especially if you don't have baseline knowledge mm. of that cultural heritage. So our research is contributing to, to management decisions in the valley as a whole. We use this as teaching. The project started as a teaching project. It's our main training excavation for our students. It's expanded a little bit in recent years, but teaching remains a key component of what we do. And it's a brilliant landscape for teaching. There is wonderful archeology span to look at. There is also lots of archeology, span well, wonderful obvious archeology. span yes. yes. There's more subtle archeology. span There's different parts of the stories you can still read from the ground. But then there's stuff which isn't shown on the surface. And the, the nature of the features we've identified here have been brilliant. For te I've tried teaching on Mesolithic archaeology before, and although it pains me to say it, medieval material is a wee bit more straightforward for an undergraduate student. It's a bit student. more substantial and visible, yes. tangible, is that the word? For Absolutely. Sure. And, and the fact yeah. that we're less than an hour's drive from Dublin and there's ice cream vans within two minutes' walk of the yeah. site is, is not an attraction at all. <laughs> so teaching is another good reason. And the final thing we've been doing here all the time mm -hmm. is is outreach or public engagement. There's lots of different words we could use. We realised early on, working at the Upper Lake, that mm -hmm. everything you do in Glendalock, you are very, very visible to the public. There will be people leaning over the fence asking you, typically, have you found any dinosaurs or have you found any treasure? But also just, what have you found? And people being really, really interested. Mm -hmm. And we, we had to develop strategies to, to deal with that. It's a fantastic opportunity. But it was also so pervasive, so constant, that we had to find a way of being effectively able to do our work whilst take that opportunity to engage the public. Mm -hmm. And it's out of that over time that the, the more community-driven aspects of our project have evolved. A long period of time of getting to know all the different stakeholders, all the different interest groups in the Valley, and there are a, a lot of them, mm -hmm. that led to some shifts in the way we did things and the, the start of that more community aspect three years ago. Absolutely, yeah. and that kind of um, leads us into the question about uh, how you've tackled some of those issues in the project itself. What kind of techniques have you used in, in what sort of um, approach did you take with the archaeological elements of it? Because there's, there's a whole cocktail of different balances that you have to keep in check there. So how did you tackle that? There are, but if you look at fundamentally what we're trying to achieve here is to take students and members of the community who've never had an engagement with outdoor archaeology before mm -hmm. and give them a way of feeling that they can partake and yes. develop their own interests and their own yes. skills along the way. Uh -huh. So we do try and be innovative, we do try and bring in scientific techniques and high level survey information sure. but we also want people to get on their hands and knees, run mm -hmm. soil through their fingers, mm -hmm. engage with what's happening, understand what they're finding, why and where. Yes. Even if it later as has happened with some of our excavations at the upper lake, mm -hmm. you find a pint glass at the bottom of the whole thing <laughs> and you manage to prove that across 
shouldn't have been there for the last thousand years and somebody moved it yes uh to alternatively finding something the car where people said it was very late and we're able to show that it perhaps dates to the period of saint kevin wow. it's to show that our methods have yes. value yes so whether we're finding that uh in searching for an enclosure we fail to find and and, and dig 19th century agricultural features mm -hmm. or whether we're trying to find a medieval house and then start finding soils with prehistoric flints mm -hmm. it's the same level of engagement the archaeological principles should apply absolutely so identify where you're going to excavate using geophysical survey asking what the question is framing a way of answering it and of course this is we're in a national park Mm -hmm. on in a national monument in a national park mm -hmm. so there's quite a strong regulatory framework here as well absolutely there's a lot of people we have to satisfy that we're doing this in good faith with appropriate skills and techniques and that we will follow through and deliver all the reasonable reports that might be expected yeah so we work strongly under license and that mm -hmm. requires us amongst other things to sieve soils at a level that mightn't be sieved on other excavations yes using a metal detector under license to make sure we don't lose objects uh -huh. um so really we we try to press it that you take the standard methods in archaeology but push them to their maximum level Absolutely. and see what you can gain from it mm -hmm. and then we seek to uh, and increasingly trying to build towards seeing well how do we build beyond that yes um in terms of taking the samples bring them back from the soil sieving them and then start saying what does this tell us about past agriculture what does this tell us about past industry mm -hmm. what is this decayed metal what was it made from mm -hmm. uh, to what extent are people metal working on site mm -hmm. have we any evidence for the making of fabrics or whatever else we might try to see mm -hmm. and the most important thing hopefully is that the students begin to realize that it's all part of a, a process Mm -hmm. that at the end of the day is supposed to tell a story that has meaning mm -hmm. and that also accumulates an archive that can be interrogated and yes. completely reassessed by people in the future yes. recognizing that we will have gotten some things wrong yes and if we do our job very very well we'll have given all the evidence to somebody later to prove us wrong absolutely yeah. and they are fundamental yeah. first principles of archaeology that's right whether you use high level equipment or whether you're just using a, a trowel yes uh, it's the thought process that they say you have a question how do you answer it? How do you select a site? What's the appropriate method? Practicalities, how do you fund it? How do you carry out the work? How do you write the report? Yes. And if the students and the community see that this is a process and at the end of it, when they see mm. an interesting article in the newspaper about a dramatic find somewhere, mm. they'll know what was required to make that all happen. Yes. Because we often see just a headline. Uh, stumbled upon yes this. archaeologists yes we're, we're confounded by and yes. stumbled upon yes. very clumsy people yes indeed. To the <laughs> no that, that's very good there is a i mean there's a particular background to the the way the community project here has evolved which is the that Connor and I helped to establish a few years back an organization called the Glendalock Heritage Forum mm -hmm. which brings together local residents stakeholders such as the state agencies researchers landowners mm -hmm. to try and promote cultural heritage of Glendalock and to promote collaboration and inclusion mm -hmm. in that and done with the forum some really good work in graveyard survey mm -hmm. um, working with John Tierney and historic graves we have a yes. really good record of the graveyard now and it's Glendalock Heritage Forum that, that nominally run the community excavations but UCD School of Archaeology runs it on behalf of the Glendalock Heritage Forum Absolutely. and that's meant that for the last three years we've been able to bring in, it's normally around 50 or 60 people a year, perhaps yeah. kind of 10 mm. to 12 on any given day, who come in and try archaeology. Some have come back 
for each of the three years. Some have come for one day, some have left at lunchtime. They clearly decided <laughs> there was something they didn't, they didn't like in particular. Yeah, and that's yeah. fine. We gave them the chance to, yes, to yeah. try. But that's only possible because of lots of collaboration. So yeah. there's support from Wicklow County Council, the Heritage Council, UCD, supporting KIND from National Parks and Wildlife, and the OPW. And that gives us a, an infrastructure that we know this we know this works well. Mm. This is a it's an easy place for us to come to now because we've been working at this for so long. But that's what gets you the, the group of volunteers mm -hmm. on site on a Monday afternoon mm -hmm. in August, some of whom you'll be talking to a little bit later on. Absolutely. And that's especially when it comes to community projects, that sense of partnership with all the different stakeholders mm. and realizing that each one has their own needs and their own values and they all want to see the project succeed uh, for different reasons, but all coming together, I suppose, to make it a success. That's that's ultimately the um, the key driver, really, of whether it does uh, become a successful ongoing project, as this absolutely. has been. Yeah. It, was it was interesting to note when we promoted the current excavations using the Facebook outlet, mm -hmm. which I should stress we also recruit locally very pointedly initially through the parish yes. and previous participants, but then okay. before we go national, mm -hmm. for the first time ever we found we were getting more shares than likes on Facebook. So more okay. people were actively engaging their own links to do it. Uh, and I've not seen that before. So that's people coming on board and saying, I want to promote this as part of the project, which that's been brilliant. It's sort of uh, associates out there, people who maybe have never visited the site, but yes. follow our story and think it's a good one. They take a, a sense of ownership almost yes. of the project itself and of the place yes. too. Yeah. There's yeah. people who've shown up today and they're wearing the site t-shirt that they've minded since last year. Yes. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> Can't be branding. Yeah. No, of course. We also always do a, an annual lecture locally so Excellent. once we've done the post excavation all of that we mm -hmm. bring the artifacts down and that's normally really well attended and we actually had people here today who mm -hmm. came along to join in the excavation today because they happened upon the lecture last year so it's oh, not really? it's not just the the four weeks we're in the field yes there is a much we've been in the local schools here as well there is a bigger engagement going on which you know that that takes a little bit of effort to and we too. also working through agencies within the university as well um, we're very conscious that if you're not careful you will only draw one demographic into archaeology those yes. who happen to have time yeah. during a summer's day mm -hmm. um, and so last year we were delighted to be able to work with the access office in UCD and we had the Southside Travellers Action Group coming down oh, and brilliant. we're hoping now in a couple of weeks we're going to have a group from a re refugee centre coming down and again wow. that we have colleagues who of their own time uh -huh. go out and volunteer time to give introductions to Irish culture and heritage and, and history mm -hmm. to a diverse groups within the refugee centre and then welcome them down here as well. Mm -hmm. But we also will have people who are nurses and bankers and all sorts in the trench at the same time. And it's yes. a very curious and interesting dynamic. Yes. Uh, it can be very unifying. You, th you take away the suits and everybody yeah. eats sandwiches with dirty fingers and uh, it creates a whole new community. There's something about working with your hands like that, especially in the outdoors as well. It builds um, a, a real camaraderie, I suppose. There is. Yeah, it, we, we try as well. We had a, we have one one of the Saturdays each year we do for teenagers. We're not guard vetted, so we have guardians come along yes. as well. Unfortunately, this Saturday was a complete washout, so we had some very sad-looking teenagers who oh, they, they listened to us talk about archaeology for a while. <laughs> so we're going to run that again next weekend yeah. when, as part of 
mm. as part of Heritage Week, we have the School of Irish, Irish Archaeology's big dig oh, here big. as well, which is always a huge pool. So the, they come in way. and excavate adjacent to our trench. We give tours for the parents. Again, yeah. it's just a different in, different engagement. Well, that's it. I mean, I suppose archaeology, as you alluded to there, Connor, you know, typically we've always looked at it as having one particular audience. They were the mm. ones most likely to engage with it. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that in a sense. But it's great to, it belongs to everybody. So it's great to try and uh, uh, do the work that you're doing in terms of uh, meeting the broader sense of community yep. uh, from age range through to socioeconomic uh, to, to all of that, I think is absolutely terrific. Um, so since you've been working here, what sort of things have you been finding, Connor? <laughs> well, uh, in the Valley as a whole, as Graham touched on earlier, uh, we've been here since 2009 uh -huh. and we've shifted location from the Upper Valley. Mm -hmm. Initially, our excavations up there, we were doggedly determined we were staying away from the monastery. Uh -huh. uh, wasn't why we came to this valley. <laughs> so I'm so delighted to be interviewed now uh, looking at the monastery <laughs> with a large hole. But the first yes. year we targeted charcoal production sites. It yes. was not what people thought. Uh -huh. they were, they're actually the most common monument in the valley. Uh -huh. And uh, it was a, a very good counterpoint and introduced the students to the idea of landscape and context and all of that. Yes. Um, then we moved on following our own geophysical surveys to inquire of some of the sites at the upper lake. Uh -huh. So we did geophysics of where there is an entirely absent hotel that once was there. Most people don't realise wow. there was an entire hotel at the Upper Lake, just beside Reefer Church, now right. gone. Wow. Um, we were chasing geophysical anomalies on the, on the fine manicured lawns up there, and we got mm. a beautiful path probably associated with pilgrimage. Okay. Um, and that's what led us to follow it as it li lined up directly with a beautiful cross cairn. Oh, wow. which we excavated meticulously until we got to the pint glass under it um, <laughs> thus proving that there had been in the Enlightenment and in the sort of antiquarian era people were landscaping moving things around yes, up there yes yes uh, and then the Cahar at the upper lake was thought to be of very recent date and was denigrated in some of the texts as being mm -hmm. nothing um, and we're delighted to say that our uh, test trenching there and the trench we opened on the side of it we've got a ditch running around it and at the bottom we've a carbon date contemporary with or possibly earlier than St. Kevin. Wow. So if you want a foundation date in a monastery, yes. finding a carbon date contemporary with your, your founding saint is pretty much bang on. That, that's pretty impressive. And the, and the one thing to add there is that ditch has an ankle breaker slot at the bottom. Yes. So it is and clearly defensive. It's rather. defensive mm, and it's it. full of iron processing material. So this wow. is, if you want to exaggerate <laughs> a little, yeah. this is a military industrial complex <laughs> right. at the time of Kevin. This is a very different than the narrative about him moving off into a life of solitude. Well, this is it. I mean, that's, that's part of the hagiography. That's part of the stories of Kevin, mm. that he found this beautiful, peaceful valley. He stood in the waters with birds nesting in his hands and all of this kind of thing. It'd be hard to do that with people processing iron right next yeah. to you. You know, that, that makes quite a lot. In a more recent century, processing lead up there, as Graham said, the industrial heritage in the valley. Yes, absolutely. I mean, there's lots, there's, we're aware of lots of narratives. And we always try and highlight for the students that... We are selecting certain avenues of inquiry, but showing yes. that there are others. Yes. Uh, there's another local group here in the Glens of Lead, and they've been mm -hmm. very actively involved in exploring the mining heritage at the Upper Lake, mm -hmm. where there's a fantastically preserved mil uh, mining complex up there for the processing of lead ore. Um, oh. Graham very poignantly, I thought, pointed out a few years ago that at the time when Oscar Wilde's father, Sir William Wilde, came down, and excavated out and re revealed the church at Reeford at the Upper Lake, this yes. fantastic site. He used volunteer labour from the lead mine. Mm -hmm. So when the Great and the Good are coming down and staying in the hotel and exploring Irish 
Ireland's Celtic past mm. in splendid isolation at the other end of the valley you probably had some fairly put upon people yes. on a on a mill floor grinding out uh lead mine material uh-huh. so it's there's always this rich and contrasting uh, uh history in the valley uh-huh. um we've yet to start looking for see if we can pick up things like traces of the cornish miners that were brought over to help work the mines wow so okay. in our later ceramic dates here will we yeah. start seeing ceramics of cornish origin uh, yeah, so there's yeah, always these extra little stories which could tie in with the graveyard and see do we pick up names there mm-hmm. and graham touched on that earlier working the graveyard survey which has been another huge boon to hear absolutely over 1800 and now 15 uh, 50 more recently identified individual grave plots within it so it's the single largest recorded uh grave survey that we know of uh, rural, true historic rural, rural true historic graves and john tierney's working with the group fantastic results there that's really exciting and it's it's so interesting in a way because i think sometimes we forget that when we see sites like landalock it looks the way it does for a reason that doesn't always match i suppose the true history to some degree you know in some ways they've been managed in some ways they've been changed or reconstructed um so it's really exciting to kind of look at that broader picture and then there's stuff where so if we move our attention down from the from the upper lake to where we are at the moment immediately adjacent to the main monastic complex Mm -hmm. we we're excavating here the the primary features we're we're looking at the most immediately visually um notable are what appear to be a series of mill races Mm -hmm. large stone built they're probably a meter and a half deep that appear to be bringing water in from the glendesan river Mm -hmm. presumably to power a, a mill of some kind filled up deliberately material dumped in it in the 13th century but immediately intuitively you wouldn't expect a mill to be located on this nice high high lateral moraine no. where we are yeah. but that's what seems to be going on we have an area on the monastic complex side of that mill those, those mill races which is a dense mass of intercutting pits and post holes and beautiful stone lined post holes showing that these were 30 centimeter by 30 centimeter square timbers radiocarbon dates from about 800 AD through to about 1100 AD for wow. a range of different features there. There's still an awful lot to un- unpick. Mm-hmm. On the other side of the, um, of, the, of the mill races, geophysical signatures of a large rectangular building, which we're still trying to, to track down, and also some wonderful material culture. We've had Viking or Hiberno-Norse ring pins, mm-hmm. glass beads. We've had a, um, a copper alloy harness mount a coin of King Citric and last year a small cross of jet with a tin ring and dot inlay on it, only about, it's less than a centimetre, maybe eight millimetres in maximum direction, perforated and worn as a pendant and this is one of only a handful of these found in Ireland, one of only a small number of them found in, in Europe, it's somewhere around 25 or so, found in Ireland, Northern Britain, Norway and Greenland. And wow. is it 12th or 13th century Conrad? Yeah, never but that, that range again. But speaking to, and they're always found in ecclesiastical contexts so where there is a context, and speaking to those Norse North Atlantic links. So, some really nice things that change our understanding of how the monastic complex was organised and what yes. it was doing, and some, some nice, nice shiny things as well, which <laughs> well, is always good. As we speak, the community volunteers have been very excited because they're finding. Uh, fragments of pottery from uh, Wiltshire in England 
Oh. So Mindy ware, which has been imported probably 12th to 14th century in date. Ah. Um, we've had seen some of it before. We're delighted to see more coming up again. Uh-huh. It's got a very distinctive pattern on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a bit of a, a flurry of excitement there a short time ago uh-huh. uh, as these pieces are coming up. But again, it's that story of connectivity. Yes. You've got splendid isolation, but also connection back out into the world. That's and it. we've seen ceramics from uh, southwest of France, from the Bordeaux region. We've seen ceramics from Bristol. We're seeing a good range of ceramics from Dublin, all of the range of Dublin made wares, and of course Leinster cooking ware, which is fairly ubiquitous in this region as well. So, so it's well connected. Absolutely. So it's not a case of monks sitting there with bread and water and, and being very parsimonious lives. The, these are absolutely not. You know, and well I think people. when people finish the field we're in where we're sitting right now, when the excavation isn't on, this is sheep field. Mm-hmm. So people come along and they think that's the agricultural land surrounding the monastery, it's the core they visit today. Yeah. However, yeah. what's yeah. presented to the public today, what stands today, mm-hmm. are the core architectural survival. So yes. from the high point of the monastery when they had the money to build big. Mm-hmm. Um, but the monastery was once much larger in terms mm-hmm. of the scope. All of the accommodations for all the pilgrims uh, the monks and all of the people associated with uh, supporting if you have as this was a major uh, site of scholarship well now you've mm-hmm. got people making ink you've got mm-hmm. people making vellum mm-hmm. you've got people making quills you've got mm-hmm. people uh, making iron tools and butchering cattle and, mi- and milling corn and baking bread and we know that through the various raids on Glendalough and everybody raided the Irish, the Vikings, the English. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know a, a mill was burnt down, but nobody knows where. So maybe we're coming close to being able to add okay. some physicality to yes. these uh, scant early historical records. Very interesting. And we have as well, when talking about connection, you know, Glendalough at this site, we, we have a six or seven hundred year range in our radiocarbon dates so far. The, the status of Glendalough's waxed and waned over mm-hmm. that time, the extent of those connections changed. Mm-hmm over mm-hmm. time so trying to get that that deep time perspective in is important which also means i get a chance to say that the most exciting thing <laughs> is that we have found a couple of prehistoric stone tools as oh, well. very good. <laughs> as a mesolithic specialist i swore i'd never get anywhere near near something this medieval but no we have a small amount of prehistoric material no no features just residual material sure. but there's no surprise we're on the the most well-drained, the flattest, the highest ridge around here. Mm-hmm. If there was to be prehistoric activity in Glendalough, it would have been in this in this yes. vicinity. And we still hold, hold the faint hope of finding a prehistoric feature somewhere. Okay, so I'm here now with Nicola, who's one of the community volunteers. Nicola, how did you come to take part in the project at Glendalough? Well, um, I was at a talk um, with Castle Dermot Historical Society and Connor came to give us a talk and uh, about the dig in Glentilock oh. and I've always wanted to take part in it. So at the end of the talk, he gave us the website of uh, how to apply to um, volunteer at the dig. Oh. So I applied and um, got an email back then to say that I was I could take part. I gave the days that I was available uh-huh. and um, yeah, that's how I came to be here. And have you always been interested in archaeology, or is it um, that you come to? Yeah, I, I studied. Um, I, I studied, I did a certificate in arc in archaeology in UCD. Oh, perfect. Yeah, for, okay. for by night over uh-huh. two years. So um, 
so that's that's where it's down from really so i have an interest in archaeology and the digs kind of make it come alive you know definitely and what a you know what better place could you dig than glendalock it's so mm, beautiful exactly here. and yeah. was this a site that you were particularly uh fond of before this opportunity or was it a site that you've come to know through the excavation if you see what i mean well, I always loved Lentilock anyway. It's a lovely yeah. area to have a dig. Like the, the, it's just amazing, the landscape around here. So um, I'm just curious to see what what they found here and, um, mm -hmm. you know... Um, to get hands on yeah, yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And have you found anything at all while you've been digging? Yeah, today we found some medieval uh, pottery from England. It's wow. Minity pottery, I think it's called. Oh, fantastic. Um, yeah, I found uh, three, uh, four pieces of pottery the first one was, was quite big and then there were three s smaller pieces uh -huh. uh, so yeah they, they just kind of because they look different from the other like we find stone and, and whatever so they it was obvious like there was a design on the piece of pottery so it looked like and then the archaeologists confirmed that that it was um the pottery that it's so exciting, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It's such a, it makes a strange it, feeling in a sense. Isn't yeah, it? it makes it so worthwhile, you know, when yeah. you go out and do a dig, you know. Cormac, how did you come to be involved in the project here at Glendalock? I saw it on Facebook and uh, just followed up on it. Uh -huh. I, from the time I was a kid, I always dreamed about archaeology and really? just thought that's what got me involved. And have you ever worked in archaeology at all before? Or is Never. This first time? No, no. But I've walked the mountains, uh -huh. the bogs, I've been all over the country uh -huh. and I just love seeing the heritage that's there and wished yeah. I knew more about it but yeah. I wasn't much good at history in school. <laughs> it's funny a lot of people come to archaeology I, I suppose like that they've always had this real interest in, in trying to learn more and it's yeah. terrific to see opportunities like this. I I, it's a fabulous fabulous experience and when I've spoken to friends back at home in Wicklow, mm -hmm. uh, Wicklow town where I come from, um, they've been fascinated by it told them all about it this year, but they don't seem to have responded. No new recruits. <laughs> no new recruits. But that's great. It just leaves more artefacts for me to find. Uh, and I heard that you found a particularly significant artefact as well. Was that last year? That was last year. Um, my first dig. And it was... I've been at the birth of my two daughters. And this, while it doesn't rank alongside it, it, it was really exciting. And the reaction of the... The crew around me, the archaeologists in particular, it was like, yeah, somebody's just had a, a baby boy or something like that. Oh, they were so excited about it. And what was it that you found? It was a dirty little piece of muck. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> and when I when I rubbed it a bit, I realised that it was something that it was it was cut to a shape, uh -huh. and it was a cross shape, and there seemed to be something on the surface of it. Uh -huh. So uh, that was as much as I got to see it. They took it from me. and <laughs> It was whipped away it, very it, quickly. Yeah, put it in the incubator. <laughs> My God. And I've, all I've seen of it since is photographs. Well, I actually did get to see it uh -huh. um, at the beginning, earlier in the year, about February or so, wow. when they had a, a talk in the community centre just down the road here uh -huh. about the previous season's finds. And that was, that's the great thing. You, you get to, to participate in the follow-up and... Then uh, I was sent a copy of the article in Archaeology Ireland, mm -hmm. which 
Um, it was great. My photograph was in it. But. <laughs> it's nice bit of bragging material. Yeah, it's better than being in the paper for, for committing a crime or something. <laughs> but I mean, it, it's such... Um, the little cross, it's less. It's about a centimetre. Um, what was it that... That particular bit of what, muck... What thinking it? about it afterwards, I can only put it down to having spent years upon years weeding in my father's back garden as a teenager <laughs> and as a child and realising that what I was looking at didn't belong in a soil heap, wow. that it was something that, that just shouldn't have been there. Yeah. And that was the way it hit me, that that's, that's, that's not natural, it doesn't look right. Yes, yes. And um, it just grabbed it. And somebody spotted my hand just shooting out and, and grabbing it uh -huh. and knew I'd found something, so uh, Dr Powers... Um, came running up to, to see what it was that I'd found. And he's the one who took it from me and went to Matt and then on to Connor. And just wow. the excitement about the whole thing was, was brilliant. It's quite a feeling, isn't yeah, it? it? And it's, there's not many other professions in the world, I, I think, the, that sometimes give you um, that. Just sense. out of the blue, yeah. It's, it's, um, but, yeah, it's a very connection. special feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Linking with somebody, you, you can just imagine the person who dropped it. You know, um, all them. Uh, you know, what, well, are they, what did years they ago? date it to? Twelve hundred or something like yeah, that. Yeah, eight hundred years, years ago. Eight hundred years ago, somebody lost something and I found it. Well, that's it. They had a bad day and you had yeah. a good one. Yes, <laughs> you know, yeah. It comes down to I'm joined now by Luana. Uh, hello, Luana. How did you come to be part of the project at Glendalough? Hello. Mm, nice to meet you. <laughs> Uh, I saw the about the project in the Facebook <laughs> and the, I saw about the community mm -hmm. and the excavation community and the, I sent mail uh, to forum the mm -hmm. uh, Glendale forum mm -hmm. uh, and the, I tried to uh, know how's working archaeology here mm -hmm. because I am archaeologist in Brazil okay. so uh, I live in Ireland around one year uh -huh. and the, uh, it's the first time I stay in the archaeological city in Ireland so I'm so excited about yeah. this. <laughs> That's true and, and what do you find um, is there a lot of similarities between archaeology in Brazil uh, to Ireland, or is there a lot of differences? What what do you find uh, different about it? Yeah. Oh, the methodology is uh, similar. Okay. The uh, I saw uh, about the house working, the classification, and uh -huh. the house working, the excavation, yes. the, the practice. It's similar, uh -huh. but uh, for me. For example, it's different because the stratigraphy, it's uh, it's so the, yes, yeah. mm -hmm. and the more difficult to me, it's the English and the, oh, okay. the terminology. <laughs> the terminology. I so see. sometimes I I want to ask something and I don't know how <laughs> yes. I I can do it, uh, but uh, it's very nice to me because I I am learning about the history, mm -hmm. eh, local history, mm -hmm. about the archaeology, the terminology, mm -hmm. and the, uh, the English. <laughs> okay, I'm here now with Ola, and Ola, 
you're one of the student volunteers in the dig. This is your second time around. What is it about Glendalough that you love? Um, I really enjoyed it the first time I came to do it. So as part of our degree, um, we're required to do a two-week training excavation in Glendalough. So I did mine last year. and mm -hmm. um, Then I got an email, the opportunity for us to come back as an experienced student volunteer came around and I jumped at the opportunity. I really enjoyed it last year mm -hmm. and I just wanted to go back and further it as as an experienced student now, haven't already done it. And do you feel, um, now that you're, you're back and excavating here, do you feel like you've got a deeper sense of understanding of, of the site itself? I mean, it's such a beautiful place and so many people would have visited Glendalough. But it's a bit different, isn't it, to actually be excavating? It, it, it's a wonderful opportunity. It's different to come back and not be the trainee to actually, <laughs> yeah. to actually be able to give your own input in it. And yeah. um, we're still being guided, but it's mm. more like what, what do you think and why? So we have a bit more leeway to use the experience from last year. It's, sure. it's like walking back last year, except now yeah. you're kind of on another end of the scale and just more ready confident. to work. Definitely more confident, yeah. yeah. So I'm joined now by Derek. And Derek, you're another one of the community volunteers. How did you come to take part in this project? Um, well, about four years ago, I was working uh, in doing the graveyard survey in the graveyard next to the, to the field here. Um, and then uh, I heard that they were looking for volunteers. Um, I do sort of various different things, but I'm not uh, you know, working full time at the present time. So I thought it would be very interesting because I've always had an interest in history and I live fairly locally as well. Mm -hmm. So um, I thought I'd come up and help. Uh, I've been doing, this is my third year doing it and I oh. tend to spend a week uh, doing it the, the second week mm -hmm. um, of the community work and um, I really enjoy it. That's terrific. And is this your first experience kind of um, on an archaeological site or have you had an opportunity to work on other volunteer projects? No, no, this is this is my first opportunity and it's purely the fact that it was a community involvement yes. Yes. Uh, and they were looking for people to do it that um, I thought it would be something very interesting, something, something different from the norm. Absolutely. And how do you um, find the process of archaeology, the, you know, the actual physical labour of it and, and then the joys of discovery when, when <laughs> you know, they're not that common yeah, when yeah. you do occasionally get them. Yeah. How, how do you find that? No, I find it great because, I mean, yes, yeah, I mean, you're always on a high, <clears throat> pardon me, and you suddenly find, oh, I haven't found anything this year or something like that. But, you know, it's it's sort of a, the enjoyment of, of, I suppose, the whole process and everybody finding something. The fact mm -hmm. that someone found, you know, a small cross last year Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it wasn't me that found it, but you know, you, f you feel good that you're involved in a project where something was found. Yeah, especially yeah. something of that significance. Yeah. And, and it's such a beautiful place to be. I yes. mean, I always like yeah. working outdoors yeah. anyway. Yeah. Um, working outdoors in a yeah. place like this must be yeah. very rewarding too. Oh, no, it's lovely. I mean, being local, uh, often come up uh, walking here. Uh -huh. um, not obviously in this part, obviously in the far side of the valley, but um, it's really enjoyable. And to feel that you're actually doing something and you're, you're finding out more about it because you're in the past I've gone to, to talks down the OPW Centre mm. and uh, the Parks and Wildlife Centre as well and it's great to learn more about the countryside that you're in and the history of the countryside that you're in mm -hmm. and to be able to understand and you know, 
one of the things that happens here is that you're actually told you know um, Connor and, and and Graham and and the others explain everything very well to you and explain what's being found and what something might be so you know the context of what you're working in you know mm -hmm. just working in a bubble and told to do something yes um, and yeah. we all share the jobs anyway so it's great and as a local what does Glendalough mean to you uh, and your life um, Glenlock initially, I suppose, when we moved over from Scotland, didn't really mean a great deal. I mean, it was just somewhere to come. Mm -hmm. But it means a lot now. Like, I mean, I, I appreciate much more the history of the area, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and the beauty of Glenlock as well. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we're able to work here and find stuff for new generations, uh, you know, to add history and to, to try and try and link up what happened in the past and to be able to see it now. Yes. I think that's that's really valuable. Absolutely. I'm joined by Ray, uh, a community volunteer at, at the excavation. And Ray, how did you come to take part in this dig? Well, uh, it's a story that actually started about 40 years ago. But wow. to make a long story very short, I was actually a, a undergraduate major in anthropology. Okay. And so I got my first degree in anthropology and took a lot of archaeology and yeah. went on a dig as an undergraduate and I've always been interested in it. Sure. But then my career took a 40-year diversion into biomedical science. So wow, okay. I've been a biomedical scientist for yeah. a very long time and so I'm a professor of cancer genetics and at right. RCSI and I'm also the director of their research institute. Okay, really but, I've, but now that I have a bit more time, being mm -hmm. semi-retired, I contacted Graham mm -hmm. uh, a few months ago and he told me all about this and mm -hmm. it was something that I was dying to do. Yes, yeah, and, and it, that itch for archaeology, has that always been there, that real interest in it? Has that always been That's always been my real interest. Yeah, um, the real so, passion. Yeah, it's been my real passion. Uh -huh. uh, I, I just love this dig. Uh -huh. in, uh, in particular, I mean, it, it's just it's just incredibly exciting because you never know what you're going to find, and you you might be holding something or viewing a structure that no human that was made by a human being, but no human being has touched it or looked at it in 800 years, yeah. or even older, because some of the finds here are prehistoric. Wow! I mean, yeah. they've been they have found small bits of flint, mm -hmm. which is clearly prehistoric. Yes. Yes. Uh, so, and what does Glendalough mean to you? I mean, it's such a beautiful place, and I suppose so many um, people always view it in a in a kind of way as a tourist. I suppose it's one mm. of the main attractions in Ireland. Were you familiar with Glendalough before this project? Uh, had you visited before? Oh yeah, I've visited Glendalough many times over the years. I've lived in Ireland for twenty years. Uh -huh. uh, my wife is Irish, and we've come mm. here hiking and. So we've gone up to the silver mine and we've wow. come here with our dog and uh -huh. who actually ran off down a canyon and jumped into one of the rivers so oh, had to retrieve him. <laughs> but it's 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 just an incredibly beautiful spot. It's it just outrageously beautiful. Uh, uh, it is. You'd be hard pressed to to find a more beautiful spot. And I'm amazed at how green it still is, even with the drought. 
Well, that's it. We don't get many long, dry summers in Ireland, but this has yeah. particularly been one. And, and Glendalough, I don't know whether it's the geology of the area, whether it's the nature of it as a valley, but you're right, it has remained very verdant and green, whereas yeah. a lot of other places that look a bit patched and brown and yellow at, at this stage. Yeah. Um, and in terms of the excavation itself, uh, have you found anything in, in particular? Yeah, I have found various bits and pieces of medieval pottery, Oh, wow. uh, small pieces. Pieces. I've found uh, pieces of iron uh -huh. that look like nails and other pieces of iron that they're going to have to x-ray to yeah. figure out what it is because uh -huh. it's all encrusted with, with sure. rust. Uh, I've found uh, some nice pieces of uh, clay pipe, which what? isn't uh, all that old, but it's, it's still a good 200 years old. Hundred to two hundred years old. Absolutely, and I always like finding those on the site as well because you always imagine the person smoking it. You know, exactly. like a couple of hundred yeah. years ago, whether it was a yeah. farmer or whether it was somebody involved, maybe in the restoration of, of some of the buildings and yeah. Glendalough under the direction exactly. of yeah. William Wilde and things like that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it didn't come from the time of Saint Kevin, obviously. No, 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 no. And, I, and obviously, tobacco came from the New World. For and, sure, and for sure. It wasn't discovered back then. But it's all part of the story. Of oh, this place and, yeah. that, and how it's all been oh, used. It's, it's going back from the Stone Age all the way to the present. Yes. And you can see why uh, Stone Age people would have settled in this valley because it's just incredibly beautiful. It is. And isn't it wonderful that, that there is this enormous legacy all the way back to the you know prehistoric phases, the Neolithic, uh, and now this excavation and your work in it is yeah. adding a new layer to the story. It's a new page. It's a, it's a new chapter. Yeah. Itself. Well, it's a multi-year excavation, and yeah. so something new is found every year. Yes, and absolutely. adds a different layer of complexity yeah. to the story. That's but you know, you know, in in terms of recorded history, there's hundreds and hundreds of years of yeah. recorded history here, and yeah. and it's really important to uh, corroborate re recorded history with with uh, factual archaeology. No, I mean, this has been my first substantial engagement with community archaeology. Obviously, I've had smaller ex ex before, you know, as well, yes. and guests to the site. But this is the first time where I've been involved in a project where we've actively reached out mm -hmm. and welcomed and actually had, you know, as it, there's as much time this year given to the community on the site as to this laterally to when the students come down. Mm -hmm. um, and I, it's, it's tangible. You can see the engagement that people have. Uh, and I can't help thinking that apart from the finds we make, the reports we write, uh, the positive engagement with the community. We'll have 130 or something volunteer days here this year mm -hmm. from the community alone, additionally our own students. Um, that ripples out. Yes. You're bumping into people who say, I heard about that, I heard you did this, I've heard of that. Yes. Um, and archaeology is one of many things fighting for people's attention these days. Yes. And something that gives people a real sense of buy-in and engagement with their own culture yeah. and community. Um, it can only be good. Mm. Uh, so I think that is an extra intangible benefit that that's going to be here and hopefully others will pick up. And I know that some of the people here have been out on other community digs mm -hmm. uh, and they're saying, no, this is something I like to do. Mm -hmm. Or graveyard surveys and they're saying, we'll do more graveyard surveys. Yes. So that's yeah. that's got to be good. And I think there's, there's also something, there's another type of pleasure that comes mm -hmm. from this where it's lovely to work in a context where community volunteers and students 
are genuinely excited because they found the tiniest, tiniest bit of medieval pottery. Yeah. And it's and it's easy to become a, a little bit jaded and cynical if you do something for years. Mm-hmm. And if you're finding stuff you know, regularly and routinely, you forget the level of connection that people get when they find some. And yes, it can be a wonderful piece of material culture, but it doesn't have to be. There's yes. genuine excitement there. And that that's invigorating. That's refreshing. And that brings great pleasure, certainly to, to me, thinking that this... This project is something that we've made possible and allowed someone to have that sense of connection and contact. And I, I think it's particularly if, when, they're, when they're sharing that experience. Yes, um, yes. I mean, archaeology has always been fortunate to gain from, let's say, mature students coming to yeah. universities and saying that among the subjects they like to do is archaeology. And I've always found field projects and everything else are much better when you have a mixed age range. Yes. When you've got the retired builder and the retired bank manager and, and the 18-year-old student, it all mushed into it together. Yeah. And they all seem to get so much more out of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And there is some great, I don't know, leveller about the subject. Absolutely. I give something new to engage in. And then you find out that somebody's like, oh, fine. And then you hear in the pub that we're telling everybody. Yes, yes, yeah. And, and I think that's one of the real wonderful things about it. And as you say, it, it, it's a real lasting legacy of a good community project like this, that you give people that sense of tangibility and that sense of ownership to some degree, that archaeology isn't necessarily always the preserve of experts and, and a few people. It can be taken part in and enjoyed by a cross-section of society yeah. uh, and that more opportunities like this I think um, would be a great way to get people to to engage with it because it can bring enjoyment as you say on many levels whether it's yeah. just the great pleasure of working outdoors which I think is terrific and working with your hands uh, to understanding the story and those real little pieces as well when you as, as you see you pick up an artifact and it's almost like you travel back in time because the last person who dropped it dropped it over a thousand years ago and they were probably annoyed and then you pick it up a thousand years later I think it's it's really really nice and I think it's a wonderful project for that so. yeah. and at the end of the day it's still good archaeology you know we're still abandoning yes. all the principles of our profession yes. we're still fully licensed we're still delivering on research strategies and all yeah. of that but we're delighted to find ways that where it can be so much more well that's it for the first instalment of Amplify Archaeology if you would like to learn more about the ongoing project at Glendalock, please visit glendalockheritageforum.org. And you can also find the Glendalock Heritage Forum on Facebook, where you'll find regular updates on the project. You can even visit the excavation during Heritage Week. They have tours and an open day at the excavation, and the Big Dig will be there to help to give children a wonderful opportunity to get hands-on with the past. Please see heritageweek.ie for the details. The project at Glendalock is possible thanks to the School of Archaeology at University College Dublin, with the ongoing support of Wicklow County Council and the Heritage Council, the Office of Public Works, National Parks and Wildlife Service and the local community. I personally want to thank Graham, Connor and all the team for their wonderful hospitality and their warm welcome. This is the first episode of Amplify Archaeology. I hope to record more interviews in August and September, so please do keep an eye out on our website at abartaheritage.ie for more details, and consider signing up to our mailing list to make sure that you never miss an episode. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you have any feedback, or if you have any questions about Irish archaeology that you'd like us to feature, please do get in touch on Twitter, where you'll find me, at JackmanNeil, or on the Abarta Heritage Facebook page. This podcast has been sponsored by Abata Heritage. For our terms of use, please visit abataheritage.ie. Thank you very much for listening.